How are you managing overwhelm in this distracted world? Welcome to AI Parenting Live. Our motto is don't sedate, relate to create. And today we are going to explore the sedate theme by covering the topic of managing overwhelm with Dr. Elizabeth Milovidov. Uh, Elizabeth's publications include The Parent's Guide to Parenting in the Digital Age, The Parent's Guide to YouTube and YouTube Kids, and The Parent's Guide to Digital Detox and Disconnect. As a member of the working group of experts on digital citizenship education, she brings awareness to the adolescent digital world and serves as an active advisor on European cooperation and international projects for e-enfance, a French online child protection association. You can find tips and expert advice from Elizabeth in her interviews with France24, internetmatters.org, Financial Times, and Cafe Mum, to name a few. Elizabeth's passion for navigating the digital world stems from her two young tech-savvy children. This week, we are curious about managing overwhelm, social media and kids, and taking the tech out. So let's dive right in to our first theme of managing overwhelm. I think that one of the things that people should be thinking about now is minimizing, reducing, because we have so much going on and there's so many shiny, swirly things uh, trying to capture our attention. And, um, you know, give yourself a break. I think that that's really important. I think it's even more important for, for parents, if I if I dare say so, uh, not to diss all of the non-parenting people out there. Um, but, you know, we have to be consistent as parents with, with our own children, as role models, with how we are modeling our digital behaviors. Um, and I think we also have to be a little forgiving, right? Because sometimes I'm on too long. And, you know, even right now it's 10 o'clock at night in Paris and I'm on but it's really important and I'm forgiving and I'm just saying it's okay because afterwards um, tomorrow I will definitely make it up to my children my son has been talking about Minecraft family afternoon so that's what I'll be doing uh, tomorrow afternoon um, but I, I think also um, just one other quick little tip that I think uh, that's really important is um, just kind of lowering your expectations and I'm not saying you know being a perfectionist and all of a sudden just letting everything go but I'm just saying you know Everybody is in the same situation around the world. And I really believe that we can be kinder and gentler uh, towards other people as well as ourselves. Um, I've had a few calls with, mm. with different colleagues saying, oh, my gosh, I'm so behind on this. I'm, I should have gotten it. And I said, Whoa. We're in a pandemic. This is not an excuse, but this is let's, you know, be gentle with ourselves. You cannot keep all the balls in the air at the same way that we were doing before. So those are just a few of, of the ideas, some of the things that I've seen in my own digital parenting community, where parents are also talking about this sort of overwhelm and, you know, how to just take breaks, how to find the positive, uh, how to forgive, how to lower our expectations and just how to get things done. I fully agree with that point, especially at, at the end, just being able to forgive ourselves. I remember speaking to many parents in, in my role as in an online school where they just I feel so guilty. I feel like a terrible, a bad parent because my kids are spending so much time with screens. And, and it's the same kind of messaging that I have is, look, first of all, we're in a pandemic. You know, you got to forgive yourself for like not figuring everything out. Nobody can nobody taught you about how to to handle screen time in this age. And so we have to start somewhere. And then the other part was 
this notion of overwhelm is that you talked about the simple steps and I, I fully agree with that too because yeah. so so many times we're we're overwhelmed in not in tasks like our tasks may be the same as when we were working before but we're overwhelmed now more in much more in thought because you're spending so much more time alone by yourself mm-hmm. and you know that means you have a lot more time to <laughs> to think think about stuff and you you get overwhelmed in like oh i could do this i could do this i could do this and if i do this one then it means i won't be able to do this one oh you yeah. know like can yeah. i can i really get that done and really the most important thing is like that small step you said like no like ignore everything just do that one thing here's the one yeah. small thing that you can do and here's another small thing that you can do it's like removing all the other things through action and and it's the it's the um it's the overwhelm that causes the inaction which is really the thing that is causing a lot more stress is it's it we're just like paralyzed in in this in this kind of thought cycle right and it's interesting too that you're talking about you know action um because i think that so much of what we can do as digital parents uh the idea is for us to be proactive right so to really get out there and figure out what we can do strategies and, and and things that we can put in place beforehand uh so that way we're not just reacting to a situation where we're reacting to screen time we're reacting to a cyberbullying incident um and, and and so on and so forth i think that you know being proactive taking those small steps just you know excellent excellent um yeah and but before you go Ed before you continue there was another thing I wanted to mention yeah was that you had said um as well about parents feeling guilty and I know that you know we will inevitably get this question about feeling guilty and um ironically enough I think it was um maybe about a month ago um I had the pleasure of doing a, a conference with um Dr. Jenny Radeski who is the um adolescent pediatrician um who wrote the guidelines for the American Association Association of Pediatrics so everybody remembers the guidelines you remember 0 to 2 no screens etc so Dr. Jenny had gone back and you know revised the guidelines saying obviously we need to think about this for FaceTime with grandparents and you know educational content and and so they they revised the guidelines. Well, what's interesting in this story is that when we were doing this conference, we both realized and we both said in the in when the pandemic first started, we were telling people don't feel guilty, you know, jump out there, get on the screens, do what you can to stay sane, etc. And now here we are a year later, and we both would not would not give that exact same advice because we thought the pandemic would be, you know, 2 months, 3 months. Um and so I think here now we have to remember balance and we have to remember um boundaries and we have to um you go back to trying to have that offline time as much as we can to kind of cherish that again uh that it is important and um I just want parents to not feel guilty but also do kind of search for that that balance again because it's it's essential and if i can give you one other tip on not feeling guilty is to not think about screen time not think about screen limits not think about it like that okay, forget that throw that out old thought gone think about it as quality screens what are your children doing online what are they learning online um 
watching a Call of Duty for four hours is not the same thing as studying Latin for one hour, talking with grandma for another hour, then playing Among Us for another hour, and then the last hour of doing, I don't know, Spanish homework. Those four hours are not equal. And I think that we need to remember that content um, and to and to think of it that way. Now, on another side, I'm not a doctor, but a medical doctor, but I would say that screen time, it might be the same as far as your eyes, your neck, your back, your straining. Uh, that might be the same, and that's where you have to take breaks and back away from the screen, etc. But when we're just talking about screen limits and screen time, the way we used to say, you know, pre-pandemic, we've changed things up now. So um, we've the chat's been blown up. Um, so, um, Alice, we have... Uh, well, it's good. It's uh, we also need to remove that yeah. stigma that parents are feeling uh, they're bad if their child is on the cell phone or the computer playing game. So exactly what you were referring to. Um, it's not the screen time is bad. It's like what is the quality level of that screen time? So that really speaks to this. Um, if I can bring this yeah. up, I don't know if it's going to work, but uh, Valerie says yes. I talk to teachers a lot about giving themselves grace, so this is very relevant yeah. to them. And Faith mm -hmm. has a question. I'm going to see if I can bring out. I'm sorry. It's, uh, I, I don't have the best way of showing this yet, but uh, this is the best yeah. I can do for now. Uh, she's wondering, <laughs> I'm wondering about tips mm. for parents with uh, teens or preteens. They're not able to socialize yeah. with their friends, so they do more with uh, Messenger and apps. We set limits on screen time and we monitor, but also understand that this is their way to reach. Oops. Uh, to reach their friends. Luckily, they go to school in person, so that helps, but it's still weighing the, the pros and cons. Yeah, I, uh, was it faith? Yes, I think that's a brilliant question um, because it really is that, but I, you already hit the, the nail on the head. Um, these are teens, tweens. Um, they are using social media. They're using their apps to connect uh, with with others and that is that is different. I'm going to even say that's like when we were kids and that was the necessary princess line phone with the long cord, you know, that you would be on for hours. Um, so as long as you're still having conversations with your teens and tweens, as long as, you know, they are acting respectfully, they're doing their homework. Um, I would also I would say, you know, be, be, be gentle with yourself, you know, but also propose um, when you can safely do so, propose, you know, some outdoor activities, propose things where they can see their friends, you know, socially distance um, an activity where they see one friend and then another week, the next friend. Um, get creative and really ask them what they would like to do. You know, what can you do to uh, to help them, you know, get over this seed? The whole remote situation that we're dealing in. I think you'd be pleasantly surprised that they have some ideas um, and that, you know, I would love to hear them too, because I'm always trying to gather up the best practices, the best strategies. And already, if you're talking with them and understanding what they're going through, um, that you're, you're ahead of the game, Faith. I think it's, I think it's great. Uh, if I can add to that, I, yes, please. I love, I agree. Like the, you know, the forgiveness is a big aspect to it. You know, when we were growing up, you know, we what did we do for social interaction? Like a lot of it, it did boil down to going to the playground and playing with other kids who were in the neighborhood. Well, what do kids do today? Well, what if the video games, the social media, all of those things is the playground for our kids these days? It is where they, it wasn't about like the, the monkey bars or those kind of things. It was about what you did with other kids. And so what you do with other kids is now more and more online. And so 
like one of the things I, I advocate for is when it comes to relating and connecting with their interests is not only understanding what like, okay, maybe they're interested in Among Us or they're interested in, in other <laughs> video games. Why? What, what do they get out of it? What is their goal? What is their objective? Right? Because you're trying to figure out if there is some kind of goal, how do I help them reach that goal quicker and faster? Because once you're doing that, then you kind of, it's not just about a screen time limit. It's about they're doing a lot of screen time because there's some need that isn't being met right now, potentially at home. Maybe there's a different way of meeting that need as well. And so uh, I love the question because we, we hear it a lot, right? It's like, yeah. oh, I'm, I'm really like, I don't know what to do. It, it feels like totally under control. It's it's out of control because there's a lot of stuff that we don't know. But like, we don't know, hmm, do they want to do like a lot of screen time because they're they're trying to like accomplish something together. They're trying to connect with friends. Like are there, there are different issues that they're trying to resolve? Once we know those things and we know what we can help to, to reach that goal, there may be other ways that we can help them. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean just, oh, reducing the screen time. It's like the screen time is just a tool. It's just one of many uh, that parents have available. Yes, and I love that you said um, playground because it just makes me all tingly because it's a great example to remind parents about the digital playground, right? So as you would, you know, if you're in that off uh, offline world and you took your child to the playground, you would be preparing them. You would be talking to them beforehand. Remember being proactive and not reactive, right? So you would talk to them about petting um, a strange dog, what to do if a dog approaches you that, without its owner, um, you know, talking with strangers, I don't know, playing in the sand, so that way they're not touching all the disgusting stuff. I mean, the whole point is that you were guiding them. And so I just want to make sure that parents realize that you can guide them in the digital playground as well, uh, because you have your experience and your maturity to understand, you know, when there is somebody who is a dodgy character who is contacting your child, you're able to figure that out and to and to help them but the only way you're going to figure that out and know and be able to help them is if you're having open and transparent conversations where they're telling you what's happening on that digital playground my nine-year-old daughter is launching her books so how can we best um how best can we put this out uh, advertising on social media without throwing her on the deep end of social media right so she like we want to get stuff out there but like as parents, we're a little bit hesitant, obviously, like we talked about sharenting, like, oh, parents right. share too much <clears throat> about like their kids. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, like you said earlier, like 11, uh, 11 years of age is too late. Right. So when are they going to start learning about social social media and start experimenting with that? Like, what's the good balance here? Yeah, well, I think already the fact that, that Edna's asking the questions and digging through, again, that whole pro proactive uh, approach is fantastic. Um, uh, I wrote an article, I um, actually wrote, huh, I did not write an article, I was interviewed for an article for the, the BBC on child influencers, talking about, so your child wants to be uh, an influencer, what do you do? And um, I distinctly, and for me, Edna, this is kind of the same situation, because anytime you're talking about putting your child out there uh, in this, the social media realm and influencer realm, you have to be aware of the the negative Nellies, the the comments, uh, all of the things that, that can come back that she may not be uh, able to handle. Um, so what I would suggest is um, one to make sure that it's really her. 
that she's the one who wants to get those books out and, and not you, that you're not, uh, but uh, was it Shirley Temple or, or Brooke Shields' mom pushing them out into the, the, the spotlight, but that she really wants to do that. And then when, when you sit there and talk to her all about this, then that's great. Um, and if you do put things out in social media, again, you are her digital guardian. So you are the one uh, watching these accounts, um, making sure she does not give away personal information. In fact, anything that she says should not go out until you've reviewed it. Um, and then I think probably my, my third and maybe the biggest tip, it would be not to share any personal photos of her. She doesn't need her image on social media. I would use a cartoon avatar of her, something that looks like her, uh, you know, a cute little nine-year-old girl, um, cartoon, and use that as her, as her thing. So that way, you know, it will preserve her own personal identity. It will preserve her space. Um, so yes, she won't be as recognizable as Ryan, uh, you know, for fame and fortune, but she will have her intimacy preserved because at 18, Edna, if she changes her mind and says, mom, why did you do that? Why did you put all that stuff out there? Um, you know, it at least will be a cartoon image. That is also one of the things that is happening here in France is that by 18, if a child influencer wants all of that gone it has to disappear it's called the right to be forgotten and it has to all go off the the, the digital wow. age yeah i know pretty exciting. cool huh? i'm glad to do that wow okay huh that has huge implications because like for most yes. like stuff is on the internet and it never goes away and so having some regulation where you can even go back to the companies to say no you need to remove it all of this stuff is is yep. huge because it gives you a, a totally different level of control. Um, For sure. The, the thing, what I love about this is like showing examples. You described like non-identifying like examples. So um, the lockpicking lawyer, he doesn't need to show his face in order to do it. Like people uh, like him because of his content. Um, there's another um, Lego one, like Jang Hai. Like, there are other influencers who do the same thing where they don't uh, publish everything. They just focus on the content that they really care about. And so if you're... Your, your channel is less about you and more about the content that you produce, then there isn't as much of a need to go and publish stuff publicly so that everyone can, like, it's not about your face and how famous you are. It's more about, like, what you're showing them and, and what your creativity is and what you produce. I think that might be a good uh, way of focusing them on something that potentially is going to last a little bit longer than uh, their appearance as a youth. Uh, and so I think that that right. it's a good, it's a good thing. It doesn't it doesn't hurt, and it means that they're investing longer term in the future. You feel more comfortable. Um, those types of things. Right. So um, and it already is uh, responding. Good points. <laughs> so, <laughs> yep. There we go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So I I think that um, you know we've we've covered quite a bit here already. Uh, I think really. You, what you referred to earlier is kind of the, the next step that I'm wondering about as well. So mm -hmm. if we were to, and so we've been advocating for some time that tech ab abstinence is really hard, right? Like it's very difficult to say just like no tech whatsoever because we live right. in such a connected world. And as a result, many parents don't have a choice. Like we have to expose them to screens. So we want them to do not just mm, like watching, like consuming. Um, I call it like sedation. Um, you know, we, we do want to get closer to relating to what they do, but ultimately to creating. And the last part I was hoping that you could cover a little bit when it comes to screen time is, well, okay, so in this new world of, uh, 
creation. Um, what does, like, what are we encouraging? What should we be encouraging them to create? How should we be encouraging them to to share it and and build these portfolios? Because it feels like we're building a. You're not just building a, like, just some post that other people are going to like. You're building a portfolio. Uh, that you may right. use for a long time to go like, look at the cool right. things that I'm able to create. Um, so it becomes a part of their their digital identity, and uh, it it does kind of form a little of, of like who they they perceive themselves as. And so I'm I'm kind of thinking from from that perspective, maybe you can give some insights from what you've seen or you've written mm-hmm. about. Yeah, for sure. I do think that it's really important to think about um, the the digital identity uh, of your child and that digital footprint about what you are actually putting out there. And even starting as young as when you first learn, when a parent learns that they are uh, pregnant, parents are like, wow, this is so exciting. Let's post it on social media. And I'm always thinking, no, you know, be careful with that ultrasound. And it's, I've seen ultrasounds. They gave out all of the hospital information, the, the names. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, you know. Um, and it's just like, just always keep thinking about, you know, what's private is private. Um, and I do think that with, with this idea of creation, which I think is really important, I think it's a great idea. Um, but one of the things that I, that I've talked to, uh, when I've spoken with Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts is about, you know, using social media for good. So using the, the digital world for good. And, and, and so those posts that you're putting, you know, it's not, uh, I don't know. It's, 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 I'm trying to think of what a 12 year old could do that would be really rambunctious and horrible. I don't know. It's not you kicking a bunch of cans off the freeway over ramp, you know, and taking off social media uh, pictures and posting about that. But it's more, you know, you doing um, something with your scouts, with your troop or, or that volunteer project that you did. I mean, it's really using social media for good. If you can amplify your voice and, and uh, help a project, I mean, this is what it's all about. I also uh, caution all kids and for parents to keep reminding their children, you're thinking this right now, but we don't know what you're going to say, you know, in five years, in 15 years. And I would probably say a last point is that for any of those creations um, that we are uh, encouraging our children to do, and I do, I do wholeheartedly hope that people are encouraging their children to create, is to one, realize you don't have to publish everything. Everything doesn't have to go out into the real world, even if you use um, online media to create something. And uh, the the second point, I think I just forgot my second point, <laughs> but it was just, I guess I remember. No, the second point and last point was that whatever your child has created, can could you imagine putting this in the middle of your town square or this the biggest thing of the in the mall? If that picture, post, image, book can be right there in the biggest mall that you have in your town or the biggest square in your village, wherever you are. And you'd be proud saying, yay, that's my child. Well, then that's something different. Um, and if your child would be proud saying, yes, I want everybody to see that. And I think really having it out in the physical world changes it from when it's online. Because when it's online, people just hit post and click and then they see likes and followers and they just go, ooh, 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 this is so exciting. But imagine if you were standing in that center of town hall or in that mall and somebody walked by saying, ugh, that is horrible. Um, you know, how you, your child would feel. This is like what you just mentioned, I think, is is extremely powerful. Um, And I hope it's sinking in for many of you who are watching live. Uh, I think like what you described is there's a kind of a connection 
um, it, it seems kind of weird, but it, it's, it's this connection between like creating stuff and disrupting and starting a movement and getting other people involved and mm. being proud of the messages that you're getting out. Like, is the message, is the point of sharing so that you can become popular? I don't know. So you can be like, like this influencer. You're not going to be like that influencer because there's already that influencer out there. Right. So what is your message? And if it's a message like you talked about, like social media for good. I mean, this this may be something that you'll stand up for for a long time. And if you can use it in an effective way, you essentially create. Um, I say that like creativity has to start small, but creativity cannot exist without a community. Right. The like, creativity in a vacuum like is not like you need that feedback in order to improve. And so you you get that small little feedback could be from the parents, like it's up to you how you want to share it. But then later it moves into something bigger, like a community. And then like you get multiple communities together and then you've got a movement. And so yeah. like it feels like this is where things like creativity is leading to. And that's where knowing social media and understanding like how does it work? How does it create this kind of viral effect? If you can harness that and start understanding from that perspective, you it's very easy to use social media for very powerful positive means as well not just for the the negative consumption and so that's my goal for for many of you i hope hope that makes sense um oh i got a new one from uh, alice it says yeah <laughs> um what did she say let's take a look um she says my mom used to say never write anything that you wouldn't want published in the newspaper your mom was right alice it's the same today <laughs> This is why I say take the tech out. And if we think about what our parents did and everything else, there's so many parallels, you know, that we really can do this. We really can. I like your mom, Alice. <laughs> and uh, Sherman asks, like, when kids are doing online learning, there's a certain level of uh, self-discipline for the kids to get through uh, the learning yeah. material. And how do we help them motivate themselves to finish the work without sitting next to them and constantly monitor like a helicopter parent? <laughs> right, right. I, I, I love all the new expressions that we have with helicopter parent and snow plow parent. We and, love you know, like labeling like parents, right? Like it's like screen yeah. time. Like we put labels on everything, right? Exactly. It's like, oh, it's like leave them alone. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like sharing thing. Sharing, like, like yeah. parents are sharing too much of, like, what their yes, kids are doing. Oversharing like, thing. Oversharing thing. Yeah. And I'm like, exactly. oh, like, we come up with great names for, for like, we do. Basically, we do. As long as parents feel bad. <laughs> I was just getting ready to say that. As long as we're not shaming them, I'm okay with it. You know, I, I, I like some of the, the, the expressions myself. Um, but, but, but back to your, your question. Um, I think that it depends on the age, right? Uh, because it, there's different motivations. And again, I think always think this is a really interesting part about being a digital parenting consultant is that I'm talking about really the things that are, that are, uh, the technology and the devices, the social media, internet, et cetera. I'm not talking about pure parenting and yet it always gets back down to pure parenting. Um, and I would say, you know, if you have a, a, a question and you're thinking about it in your mind, take the tech out right so take the tech out and then figure out how would you handle this uh this problem if it was not about remote learning so going back to our situation we have your child um let's say they're not remote learning because i agree we're talking about the self-discipline but it's just a matter of going to school and you see they're sitting by a window and out that window is all sorts of activities and they're just you know always looking out the window 
How are you going to know if your child is going to complete the lesson and understand the lesson? Well, one of the things that you can do is what you would, what you can do with the online world as well is when we're talking younger children, before the lesson starts, you say, hey, so um, after your lesson, I would love it if you told me like the top two, three things that you learned, the most important. So then you know that they have to um, they have to, uh, you know, give you a summary or finish it out. If the courses are being recorded, you can even say something like, I would love to know what happens at the one minute mark, at the 20 minute mark, or at the 42nd minute mark. And that way they're really, you know, watching the clock and paying attention as well. I mean, it's always about trying to find, I won't say parenting hacks, because I used this before and one of my cybersecurity friends said, Elizabeth, stop saying hacks. We're not hacking. And I'm like, okay, okay. <laughs> it's, it's just a trick, uh, a strategy. It's, you know, to get creative. And, and sometimes as well, it's just as simple as, um, you know, think about when your children didn't want to go to school at all. And you would say, go to school, you're going to have a great day. And then it's going to be mommy and me afternoon, or we're going to, you know, go by the library, grab a book, you know, find something that's pleasurable for them to do. And, and I'm not saying bribery or reward system, hardcore compensation, but, you know, quite frankly, we go to work because we get paid. <laughs> <laughs> so a little bit of, of, of a reward, even if, like I said, if it's just a super mommy cuddle, I think that works too. Uh, I love that. And I, I see it as, you know, getting them into doing it in a different way is, is very powerful, especially if we, because nowadays we're in this world where like kids have gone from the classroom to their living rooms. And so what's happening is we're no longer competing with other distracted uh, kids in a very controlled environment, we are now competing with Xbox and movies and social media and everything else that, that can be out there. And so it is really difficult as a parent to go and compete with the interests of like the, these produced uh, media. And so it is very important to like, if you understand them and you understand like, why do they like it so much and, and where do they want to go? Like, what would, what would be the next step with that? Then in terms of motivation and getting them to do their work, like I always say that there are no boring tasks, only boring imaginations. And so if they can't connect it to their imagination, that's one of the reasons why they say, oh, this is so irrelevant. So if you've got that motivation, they're going to do this on their own. But if you don't and you say, no, you're going to sit down and you're going to write through all of these examples. <laughs> you're just like, oh, and I do feel like this is this is like for me. It's insane. Like one week, my kid's in grade two and, and he'll get like 40 pages of like worksheets that he has to do. And it takes like two hours a day to do. It's insane. And at some right. point we have to say, you know what? We're not going to do all those. Um, yeah, like it, exactly. it's, good, but it's not going to help him. It, like it's going to make him like, like really not attracted <laughs> to math at all. Like we right. need to, the uh, interest is more important than like going through everything. Like this attachment that we have as parents, like they must complete everything. I think is right. another another challenge as well. Um, yes, and oh I man. loved I I but you just something got me all excited too. And you were talking about um just the distractions and even with the math. And so then, I'm sorry, this is where like you can see I'm a total tech enthusiast, and I'm saying there are opportunities here, right? So you know with the math and all those math sheets, you know why not go online and do like come on math using the app or whatever else is a Khan Academy. Um, there are so many fantastic fun ways of doing math now that are completely different from when I was a kid. And you can just, you know, just 
have a great time. And in that same vein, we were talking about some of the older um, teenagers and uh, self-discipline and, and, and self-regulation. You know, there's technology that can help for that too. There's like the Freedom app or, or even just screen time on your Apple phone or using um, Android's digital well-being, which will, you know, shut down. So that way your child can be in school at school time. They won't be able to go out on 20 different browsers and, you know, watch YouTube while they're streaming Netflix and they're supposed to be listening to English class, right? So, I mean, parents, you have to get a little involved here. You have to, you know, check things out and talk with them. Uh, it's that way you can kind of tone it down a bit. So, uh Again, the, the chat, uh, we have Faith saying, like, we found other things that help as well, like she knits and we do a lot of family yeah. things, uh, dinners, no tech Love in the it. rooms at nighttime. That's a great one. Uh, Edna yeah. says, very insightful. Do you think putting up a personal development programs for kids in the digital space, uh, would that be of some help to get them to build up quality screen time? Oh, that's an interesting one, Edna. I think, quite frankly, anything that we can do uh, to help our children uh, in, in uh, help our children's development, personal development, mental, social, and emotional learning, um, I, I say go for it. If there is a way to combine all of that and it's in a digital space, even even more so. Um, I had the pleasure of working on uh, a project um, in Europe that was funded by the European Commission in 2014-2016, and we were looking at um, um, uh, cyberbullying and bullying, and we were looking at social and emotional learning, and uh, we looked at children ages 11 to 14, and we were just trying to, you know, figure all of these things out. And Edna, it's exactly as you said. It's you know, at this developmental stage, um, when can we get in and really help children and support children? Well, what we realized at the end of this two-year project, looking at, um, I can't remember how many teens, but. I would say at least a thousand in six different European countries, we realized that 11 to 14 was too late, that we needed to mm -hmm, go totally. younger to start. Yeah, we needed to go yeah. younger to start with social and emotional learning. So what I would think, Edna, would be to look at something like Denmark, a country's you know model. I think we should be cutting and pasting and not reinventing the wheel. Look at countries where um, some of these programs work and they work really well, where they're teaching children social and emotional learning, uh, social and emotional learning from age three years old, right? So you can do that without screens uh, because they don't need it. Um, so three years, four years, five years, your developmental program, and so you're building them up into getting into digital spaces and they've already acquired the skills of kindness and empathy before they hit the digital space. And Edna, then I'm telling you, rock stars. I can just see it, so. hundred <laughs> percent. Um, so going back like we got a lot in the chat um these hacks are great i guess these questions work even when back to school because kids mm. go back to school march 1st here in malaysia right. uh so mm -hmm. oh, thank you sherman for joining us from malaysia uh it's an honor wow um you, yeah. he also asked like what was the first math app um you mentioned before khan academy oh yes um kumon uh k-u-m-o-n it was developed mm. in japan and um, I believe, yes, Japanese, yes. And uh, just a different way of approaching math, a completely different way of looking at it. Um, I've also seen another fantastic app, uh, I believe it's called brilliant.org, that has different ways of looking at math um, on an on a app where it's you know spatial and things are moving around. And I'm like, my goodness, I could have really understood, um, you know, Pygatherin's theorem and all this other kind of stuff if I had had these cool apps, but um, it's okay. Words are my thing now. <laughs> if I can add to the um, the tool belt, especially for math, um, 
I found that uh, straight up bribery does, like as you mentioned, <laughs> does work. Um, so if you're doing mathematics in terms of like either like, okay, we're doing a math example and I'm going to use real money, like it suddenly becomes like it's super relevant to them. Or if you do a real example and you go, now I'm going to do it with M&Ms, like, the, you know, like not the big ones, like the really small ones. And you go like, and if you don't get this right, you're going to get less M&Ms. Is that okay? Like, you know, this is this is a real yeah. world example. So it suddenly goes from this abstract concept to this is less M&Ms. I got to learn this stuff now. Like, I've got to figure this thing out. And my, my kids are really young. Uh, but it's, right. it's, it's amazing how like little, like you don't need a lot to, to get no. them to, to go, wow, this is exactly why. Okay. Do I want like seven M&Ms or do I want 11 M&Ms? I want 11, right? So like, how am I going to do that? So <laughs> exactly. And, and as we say, and doing geometry with, uh, with pies and things that you can cut, uh, into halves and three quarters and that works as well. <laughs> Thank you. Um, you know, as we transition, like one question that increasingly parents are asking related to screen time is we talked about that. You talked about quality and we were just like kind of scratching the surface of it. And I'm wondering, like, how do you know, like as a as a parent, how do you know I went from mm, like this is like kind of like not so great, the screen time versus like, wow, this is like really productive. What would like how would you measure that? How would you how would you even determine that, you know, that right. this is quality screen time yeah so I mean there, there's two ways again I'm always for the proactive right so if we're going to be proactive that means that you're going to be guiding your child on uh, how to find um, educational yes I said it educational uh, uh, and entertaining content online so my number one resource for all of those things is common sense media where you can go on and find you know apps and books and movie reviews um, and you can find parents guides to just about whatever it is that you're you're looking for and I think that that is one way to really make sure that your child is getting something with quality and what's even better with common sense media is that they go in and they specifically tell you about the types of content whether it has violence or profanity um, whether it's um, educational uh, and I think the positive role models I mean I think those are all fantastic things and one other little uh, tip that I think is great especially for parents with younger children because sometimes you don't always know and Sesame Street is you know Sesame Street and you after a while you're like okay what else can I show them um, is that you can just go on and you know for example tick the little box for three-year-olds and you can find all the content that it is appropriate for three-year-olds now with that in mind there are also parent reviews um, where the parents will talk about these um, items and then what is my personal favorite as somebody who is a children's rights advocate and I believe always that we need to keep talking to our children talk 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 is that they ask the children you know what do you think about this what age should it be did you like it did you not like it so that is one way um, beforehand to find out about content um, and to find out, you know, what what this is going to do for your child. The other way to find out about content is that reactive way that I was mentioning, which is we are you're watching how your child is reacting uh, to certain um, films or apps or episodes. And I you'll get a pretty good idea, you know, what what riles them up, what gets them excited, what, when they watch something, you know, I don't know, Ed the Science Guy or um, 
or um you know any of the little i try to remember all the things that my kids used to love when they were when they were little they're 11 and 14 but there were so many really good um uh, the einsteins there we go i was thinking about the einsteins and then they get off little einsteins, the episode. Yeah. yeah the little einsteins they stop watching the episode or they stop uh they stop you know playing with the app and then they want to go get pen and paper because they want to reproduce something that they had that they had learned i mean th- these are all indicators of you know the content that you want to get more of and the ones that you want to reduce uh, if you can. Uh, I think this is really powerful about having these right kind of resources that point towards the the right direction, because I would say that for the most part, we're we're in a pretty different world now. Like people ask, like, what's the difference between screen time today versus when we just watched TV as a kid? Um, and I guess a lot of it has to do with who curates or who determines the programming uh, for that. Right. It used to be a person, uh, and now it is very much an algorithm or an AI who's making determinations uh, for that. And I'm yeah. kind of curious, like, like there's no, there's not a lot of rules right now on AI, like recommending certain things to your kids and if it mm-hmm. recommends something inappropriate, there's nothing, there's not a lot of rules that kind of prevent you like prevent companies yeah. from being liable if, if that happens. Um, so I'm wondering, like, is that is, is that the current state of affairs right now? Is it it's like the Wild West? They can just give you whatever recommendation or are, are things like starting to change even from like a legal political perspective? Like, are are we going to start seeing some some broader changes in this space? Yeah, I, I personally, I think so. I think we're going to start seeing more regulation because it's already happening in the United States, also here in Europe. Um, but I do think that um, just because I'm, I'm, I, I do work, I consult for tech companies as well as um, non-governmental organizations and governments. So I do think that one of the things that, that uh, can really support parents is to realize that all the tech companies have safety centers. They all have guidelines. They will tell you um, that their content is not for children uh, and how to um, set up parental controls, how to reduce, how to limit. After that, you know, when parents give an eight-year-old a TikTok account or a ten-year-old an Instagram account, and we know that these are for 13 and plus, we can't we can't really say anything. So you'd said and um, used the word liable for tech companies, and I was like, ah, my lawyer hat came on, saying, don't we're not going to say liable uh, right now because that's 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 not what we're talking about. Um, but really, let's just say that these are very challenging times, um, and I think that if, just for example, something really simple when we're talking YouTube, um, if you do not want your children going down the uh, the, the rabbit hole of, of of suggestions, well then turn off the automated recommendation and that you know. Know, the next thumbnail uh, that will keep coming up. Same thing with Netflix. If you don't want them to sit there and watch episode after episode, turn that off. You, there's a button that you can press so that you don't have to automatically see watch next episode. And how do I know this? Because I watched the Bridgertons probably in like <laughs> four hours. <laughs> Definitely a weekend for sure. And um, so, you know, do, do as I say, not as I do. <laughs> You know what? Um, I, I think that that's the key. Um, we didn't we didn't talk about liability, but I do feel like yeah. eventually there's a lot of rules that we have in in media production, especially like involving children, like rating systems, um, compensation for child actors. Like how much are 
many of the child actors like Brian's Toys Review is actually going to get when they're older. Like we don't, we have no idea. Like the rules are different. We don't treat them like we treat a child actor right now in the United States, but maybe in other regions we're starting to do that. Like these, these kind of things are, are coming, but they're, they're definitely like they're, they don't exist yet because the technology is usually ahead of where, where we are in terms of the, exactly. the legal practice. And, and I'm so excited that you mentioned that because um, I am in Paris, France, and just a few weeks ago, I'm just, uh, you know, with the pandemic, I never remember if it was last week or last month, uh, but France did um, start the first law for child influencers. So here now um, in France, if a child influencer is making money, so that's kind of the only tricky part, but if they're making money, then any of those revenue, that revenue has to be held for them until they're um, of majority age, and they also are treated like a um, a child television star, so they have you know working hours, etc. Um, and so I think all of that is really exciting, and I think it's because other countries are looking to see what's happening in the United States, and they didn't really like the idea that uh, Ryan made what 26 million or maybe even more and uh, we have no yeah we have no idea and I think it's Anastasia as well who's in Florida and then you know million dollar kids and and we this is always down to children's rights right and if the and if the parents are you know taking care of business well then uh, already I say that's great because that's our role we are the guardians of our children we are the digital guardians of our children um so yeah I think it's going to be exciting to see what happens. Yes, I, I've said this before um, privately, but I, I do really feel that like France is going to be the source of our, our digital revolution. They're, they're definitely pushing the boundaries a little bit sooner than, than other regions in the world. And I'm, I'm honored that uh, like we're, we're learning a little bit more about what other regions are, are doing beyond uh, just uh, what we're seeing in the United States, because we, we need reform. We need some, some thinking around this. And uh, hmm. there's a lot of language about switching existing things that we use for say straight media production and seeing how that might apply like even here in canada uh we've got like stuff in the news this morning about like news outlets and you're gonna have to like pay a certain amount you know because like even on social media if you have news there you will owe something right. to the news organizations which is valuable because we have a, right. a news organization that is running like what is it like a fraction of their their previous capacity so their ability mm -hmm. to even do news is uh, severely limited so we we definitely benefit from that. Um, I'm going to go back yeah, to no, I, the audience. I was just going to say one wanna... more thing. Yeah, 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 before you go back. So you see, you get me now, you get me talking. So you're going to just like say, Elizabeth, stop. Um, but uh, I was just going to say, yes, the, the countries that I would say to continue watching, um, France, the United Kingdom, and Germany. Uh, that's what I'm seeing here in Europe. And then, of course, um, everything that's happening with the European Commission. So the, that's where you should keep an eye out just to see if, what's going to happen in the United States. And uh, if I if I have any advanced knowledge, I will share. <laughs> yeah, in, like in particular with the um, the GDPR, like the Global Data Protection Regulation, I do feel that much of that is already moving far ahead of what we can see in North America. Um, and I think that if anything, they're they're leading a little bit in terms of uh, privacy regulation. I do think the, there's a good sign. There's a good sign from that because you have to make consequences that are financial. Uh, because a lot of decisions are going to be financial and you won't see any changes until it has an impact on the bottom line to that extent. And so uh, this is uh, we were talking earlier about how, like in the news, you know, some of the some additional individuals from the uh, Google, I think, AI ethics team were let go just recently. And 
how it's very difficult for us to police itself when it comes to ethics. Um, you know, it, it's it's very because it has to be a financial incentive. So we we depend a lot on regulation and we depend a lot on the law in order to provide this type of guidance. And uh, right. hopefully, uh, we like we're seeing we're starting to see some trends. It's a good sign. <laughs> Yeah, I totally agree. So, um, stepping back into the um, to the math side, remember we were like recently talking yes. about like different ways of engaging with math. Uh, one of the things that、uh, Sherman said was,、uh, "It's Chinese New Year's here, and social gambling is、uh, happening down here." So, the game Twenty One、uh, makes them do lots of mental math, and so I mean, we all have really strong examples of of this, and I'm I'm glad to see it. Um, oh,、uh, and I think that you know having resources like where do you go, right? Like what is the one place? And I I feel like if anything, that's what we like are here for. We're trying to curate, get put those places together because we we need like as parents to get together and say like yeah we're we're gonna figure out how to make this happen. And so、yeah. that kind of good opportunity to connect with the community. Yeah, I com- I completely agree, and I feel like you just kind of just handed me like a baby to say here, 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 because that's one of the things that I do with my、uh, digital parenting community on Facebook is that you know we just share the best practices.、Um, you know, I curate as much as I can, and because I'm in the academic space, because I'm working with governments, because I'm working with NGOs, because I'm even going into classrooms and talking to kids and Girl Scouts and Boy Scouts, and you know, a couple years ago it was. More fun because I'd go into a classroom and actually do all the Fortnite dances with the kids, and、uh, <laughs> it's just kind of crazy. Even last week, I was doing a call、um, with some an international school in Lisbon, in Portugal, and I was doing.、Um, I had some of the students speaking French, and、uh, one of the girls was asking me, "Well, why do you know so much about these games, about Among Us and Minecraft and Roblox and?" You know, how do you? Are you an adult? Why are you playing these games? And it was just really hysterical because I wanted to, I had to reassure her that I do not spend all day playing games, but that <clears> I talk to my children. You know, and so this is the this is the the big difference. But anyway, what I was saying is that by using all of those different pieces,、um, that's how I'm able to pull it all together and really try to provide parents with a sort of holistic approach to to digital parenting. Once again, I'd like to thank Dr. Elizabeth Malovdov for sharing her insights in today's episode about managing overwhelm. If you found it helpful, give us a like; it helps us out a lot. And stay tuned for some of our future discussions around parenting in a world of AI. Thank you. Speak to you soon.